Let's read God's words together. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believed in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the fields. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Thanks, Alan. Um, keep your Bibles open. Uh, keep those words in front of you so you can keep referring back to them um, as we work our way through them again this morning. Uh, I'm hoping that in the, the near future, um, provided all this rain we've had stops, that we might have a nice garden at home. Uh, I'm hoping that we're going to have a nice, big, uh, smooth lawn for our kids to play on where Jethro can practice uh, to be the future cricket captain of Australia. Uh, I'm hoping we're going to have a big sand pit where the kids can make messes outside uh, and sandcastles and the like. I'm hoping for a garden shed where we can put all the junk that I don't want in the garage. Uh, I'm hoping for nice plants and nice trees to give that greenery and shade in the summer. Uh, I would like to have a nice backyard. We've got lots of room uh, and I'm hoping that one day we will get it. Uh, you might say that's a good hope. Um, I think it's a, it's a good hope. But unless I get out there, uh, unless I get busy in the backyard, uh, it's a pretty worthless hope, isn't it? Um, despite what our neighbour seems to think, lawns don't plant themselves, uh, trees don't just magically appear overnight, and garden sheds and sand pits don't grow from nothing. See, if all we did about that sort of hope uh, was talk about it or dream about it, it's not a real hope, is it? Uh, it's just wishful thinking. If you have a real hope, you do something about it. You act. You work to realise it. Uh, real hope is active hope. 
Now we saw last week uh, that Christians have an infinitely better hope than the hope of a backyard. Uh, We have a hope that is not just a possibility, uh, not a future event that may or may not happen. We have a hope that is a certainty. We have a living hope, uh, a hope that rests on and is confirmed in Jesus' resurrection. And even less than my hopes for our garden, it is not a sit back and twiddle our thumbs until it comes sort of hope. No, our hope in Jesus is real and therefore it is an active hope. And that's what Peter's talking about here. Look with me at verse 13. Therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. There's one command there. It's a little bit uh, confusing in how it's laid out, but there's one command. Set your hope. And there's two means given as to how we do that. Prepare your minds and be self-controlled. Peter is saying you have a hope, but your hope drives you to action. It is not a sitting back and waiting hope. It is a going out and doing hope. What? Doing what? How do we act out this hope? Well, that's what the rest of this passage is all about and that's what we're going to be seeing together this morning. Now last week we saw that our living hope in Jesus uh, decisively changes us and Peter keeps reinforcing that in the verses that we just read. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Peter is saying, you are not who you used to be. Things have changed. Uh, You used to be ignorant. That is, you used to be oblivious as to how the world really worked. You missed that God was at the head and at the heart of all things. And because you missed that, uh, because you missed how things really are, you weren't living how things should really be. Instead, you served whatever uh, thought, whatever impulses and desires came into your head. But now, he says, that's all changed. Uh, You are not who you used to be. No longer are you ignorant or enslaved to those desires. You've been called out of that. Your eyes have been opened to how the world really works. And all because God has given you this living hope in Jesus. And as part of that, he has caused you to be reborn, to have new birth into that hope. And as Melinda covered in the kids' talk, now you're part of a different family. Now you have a heavenly father, and you are part of his family. Um, we say it to each other at home, usually when the kids are mucking up, and they do something wrong, and well, clearly he or she is your child. Uh, because it, it's true, isn't it? Kids take on their likenesses. Sometimes, unfortunately, uh, kids take on the likenesses of their parents. Uh, we, we, we look like, but we also act like our parents. And the same is true of Christians. We've been born again, we've been welcomed into this new family, God is our father and we start to take on his likeness and what Peter describes that as here is holiness. Verses 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. God is holy, our heavenly father is holy. And his children are increasingly to be holy, to look like their father. What do we mean by that that word holy? Well, the word holy in essence means set apart. It means uh, distinct from. 
Um, it's why God is the ultimate holy, because God is the ultimate other. He's not like the world, he's not of the world, he doesn't act like the world. Uh, he's perfect, he's holy. And we are to be like him. Because Peter is saying we're not of the world either. Uh, our new birth has made us strangers in this world. It's made us exiles in this world and therefore we're not to act like the world. The same values don't drive us. No, instead we act like the new world, the new kingdom, a new family that we're part of. And we refle reflect the holiness that characterises that newness. Uh, it's just like when you transition you know, from primary school to secondary school or from school to, to uni or from one job to another. You, know, you, you can't keep acting the way you used to. You take on a whole new set of behaviours because your old ways, your old habits, they don't fit anymore. You need to leave them behind. Uh, when you get to uni, you can't act like you did at school. Uh, your lecturers will not treat you like your teachers did. Uh, when you get to a new job, you can't act like you did at your old job because you've got a new boss. They won't uh, be expecting you to act in the same way. And likewise, when we become part of God's family, part of his kingdom, we can't continue to act the way we used to. Instead, we act consistently with our newness, our new life, with holiness, like the God who called us into it. So what drives us in that? What motivates us? Well, Peter tells us it is by seeing God for who he is. The seeing God as a judging father. Look at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. See, what is at stake here is how we will stand before God when he judges. Uh, Peter tells us uh, all will stand before him, uh, all men will be judged, all works will be judged, God will be utterly impartial in that, there's not going to be bias, there's not going to be favouritism, God is going to give clear justice and no one will be able to argue with that justice. Every deed uh, will be assessed uh, as holy or not. Hey sweetheart. And knowing that day is coming, knowing that we will stand before him, calls us then to live, motivates us to live in light of it. Because a day is coming when we will have to give an account. Our deeds, all of them, will be seen in the perfect light of God's holiness. And so we are to live in light of that day, as Peter describes it, in reverent fear. But he doesn't tell us to live in utter fear, does he? Because he reminds us who it is we stand before and how we stand before him. Yes, we stand before the God who judges. Yes, all our deeds will become to account. But the God who judges is also the Father who redeems. That's what Peter reminds us in verses 18 and on. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. See, all those who have trusted Jesus 
will stand before God, stand before him as judge, knowing him as father. Standing there as one loved by him. Standing there as one who has been bought out of the previous uh, empty life, a life of futility, a life heading towards destruction. Standing there redeemed and ransomed and belonging to God. Because even though we were aimless, even though we lived empty lives, futile, headed to destruction, God has paid an infinitely great price to buy us out of that. Uh, not gold, not silver, no, no cash amount. He has paid in the precious blood of Jesus, his beloved son. If you have not trusted Jesus, then you will stand one day before God as the holy judge and that day will be utter terror because all that stands between you and him on that day will be your own deeds and they will be seen in the light of his holiness as being utterly worthless. And before his perfect purity, there will be only despair. But if you have trusted Jesus, you will also stand before God as holy judge, but you will know him as father. And that day will be awesome because you will see his holiness, you will see in the light of it your utter unworthiness, but even more you will see his grace and his love that exceeds it all. And you will know that because he has ransomed you at great cost, he will not turn you away on that day because the God who judges is your faith and your hope. Um, in the, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, the, the Narnia movie, uh, there's a great scene where, where Edmund stands before Aslan. Now, Edmund has rejected uh, and betrayed Aslan. He's, he's tried to overthrow him. And now he stands in front of him and the, the scene is this, this small boy in front of this huge and powerful and, and solemn lion. And, and Aslan calls him out. And he doesn't pretend that nothing has happened. He doesn't you know, get all chummy. He calls out what Edmund's done. He says that it was wrong. You shouldn't have done that. But he also absolves him because all that Edmund's done has already been paid for. It's dealt with. And that's why through it all, Edmund can stand there with fear, yes, but hopeful fear. Because although he knows what he has done is bad, although he knows he should pay, he trusts that he knows Aslan is good. And so too for us, we can face God with hopeful fear on that day because he is good, he is merciful and he is our redeemer. We are not trapped into saying, I hope I've done enough that you know, God will be pleased with me when I face him. Instead, we are freed to be able to say, my hope is that Jesus has done enough and that God already accepts me as his child on that day when I will face him. That hopeful fear drives us now. Uh, it drives us to live in holy fear, reverent fear, obeying God, knowing that he is our judge, knowing our deeds will be called to account, obeying because he is holy and loving. And he has ransomed us out of our despair. He has welcomed us 
into his family forever. But what does that hopeful fear, what does that obedience look like? Well, Peter goes on to tell us it looks like eager love. It looks like eager love for God, but eager love for those whom God loves as well. Look with me at verses 22 through 25. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Uh, The truth that we've obeyed, uh, as Peter describes it at the start of that that section, is the gospel. It's It's the good news that Jesus has redeemed us by his blood. And obeying that means heeding its call. It means listening and repenting and putting our trust in him. And when that happens, as Peter says, uh, you are born again. You're ransomed and purified and made right before God. And therefore, as his child, not only do you love God, but you love your new family. You love those whom he loves. Um, Not in some weird or, or kind of cultish way. He says, love one another like brothers, like family. Affectionate love, serving, selfless, uh, not, a, not a love of pretending or just making it look right, but honest and genuine. But how? How do we do that? I mean, if we're honest, we can probably muster up love for someone for a time, but sooner enough they do something that annoys us or is frustrating or hard and we, we find ourselves not wanting to love them so much. How do we do this in an enduring way? Well, Peter describes, doesn't he? He says there in those verses, uh, it's the gospel word that's brought us new birth and that word that continues to work in us is an enduring word. Uh, It lives. And therefore, its influence lives within us and so the love that it grows within us endures. The only way to grow an enduring, a lasting love is through the work of the word in us. What does that love look like? Well, Peter describes it in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Uh, Rid yourselves is is putting off. It's the same word as when you might take off a coat uh, when you walk inside a warm house. Take it off. You don't need it. It doesn't fit anymore. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, none of these have any place in in a family that is practicing love. None of these or anything else that causes conflict belongs. So take them off. Have nothing to do with them. They don't fit anymore. But how? How do we do that? Because if we're honest, we find those things pretty easy. Uh, We find them far too easy, in fact. And we find love pretty hard. How do we do it? How do we actually grow in love? Well, Peter helps us there in verse 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now, we've got to be clear on what Peter's saying here. He's not saying that we nor his readers ought to be uh, like new Christians. That's not what we need to aspire to. Neither is he saying, by describing it as milk, that we should only seek out for basic truths in the Bible. No, what he's saying is 
We should be as single-minded as a hungry baby. We should be as uh, single-minded, as craving, as longing as a baby for what is nourishing for milk. I mean, you know what it's like when a, when a newborn is hungry, everyone knows it. You know, there is nothing that will satisfy you. You can't distract them. You can't uh, try to, to, to hold them off. They want milk. They are going to let everyone know that they want milk and they are going to get milk. And Peter says, be like that. Be like that. Crave this pure spiritual milk. So what is it? What is that pure spiritual milk? Well, when we look at the context, when we look how Peter's been describing the new Christian life, it is clear it is that living and enduring word of God. But more specifically, it's not just crave the word in itself, but crave to know the word and do the word. Uh, Don't just crave to know it as if by intellectual information we'll somehow grow in this. He says, know the word, do the word, fill yourselves with the word. And when you crave it, when you long for it, when you seek it out, he says, then you'll begin to grow up into salvation. Then you'll begin uh, to learn this this love, this holiness. Just like a a kid growing up into new clothes, when you crave this milk, when you fill yourself with it, you'll grow up into what Jesus has won for you. This new birth, this holiness, you'll fill it out. So how do you crave that milk? Well, you taste it. Verse 3. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Uh, a few years back, I went to a seminar um, on starting your own brewery. Um, I was just curious. It was, it was interesting. Um, but anyway, the guy presenting, he was from a very successful brewery that had started up and exploded nationwide. Uh, and he said it was on the back of a very simple strategy. Not great advertising, not great slogans or anything like that. Their strategy was give out free tastings. Uh, They found people were unlikely to try new beers, Uh, people are likely to stick with what they know, Uh, and so the only way that they could crack a new market was giving away free stuff, because who doesn't like something that's free? Uh, And so they offered lots of free tastings, because they know not only do people like free stuff, but once people taste something good, then they're more likely to go back and taste it again and get more and learn to like it. And that's what Peter's saying here. We have tasted of God, we've tasted of his goodness. We taste that when we, when we come to him, perhaps for the first time, or when we come to him afresh, and we, we see again that love, that, that joy, that sheer relief we have in Jesus. And Peter's saying, taste it again. Go back and, and, and taste and experience and know and begin to crave, begin to long for that goodness because you never will, you'll never crave it if you never try it. But you might say, that's just not how I feel. Uh, I would never describe myself as, as you know, craving God or really longing for his word, that's just not my experience. You know, I know I should read it but long for it. I mean, that's just not who I am. Maybe some people feel that way but not me. Well, ask yourself why. Because Peter's not describing here something that is unusual, that's something that only certain people ever experience. He is describing what all of us should feel. 
So why don't we? Uh, one commentator, Juan Sanchez, said this, If we don't crave the pure spiritual milk, it may be that we are taking in so much of the world's milk that we're not hungry for the milk God offers. I mean, we know it. If, if our kids aren't hungry at dinner time, uh, it's usually because they've eaten too much lunch or they've snacked too much in the afternoon. There's, there's a reason. They're already full. And if we're not hungry for God's word, then the likely reason is we are filling up ourselves elsewhere. So where? What are you getting full on? If you are not growing, if you're not craving, ask yourself, what am I eating? What am I drinking? What am I filling myself with? Uh, we say, you are what you eat. Uh, I'm not sure how true that actually is, but it certainly is true spiritually. If you feed on God's word, you will learn to crave it and you will grow in it and grow like it. But if you feed on the world, on its messages, on the cravings it offers, you will grow in it instead. It's hard, yes, absolutely. Uh, because the messages the, word, uh, the world offers, it, the, the, the milk it puts on display, the, it's many, it's subtle, it's tasty. But it is only the pure spiritual milk that God offers that is able to grow us, that is able to make strong our living hope in Jesus. Do you want that? Do you want to grow up in the salvation he's won for you? Do you want to learn this love that Peter describes, this holiness? Do you want to gain joy and a stronger assurance? Do you want increasing peace and increasing confidence even in the midst of trials? Well then crave the only thing that can grow that within you, the word of God. If you don't feel like craving it, if you don't feel a longing within you, then give it a chance. Have a taste and another taste and persist in it and your taste will turn to hunger and your hunger will turn to craving. Pick up your Bibles and open it and feed on it. Don't rush through reading it, don't tick that box off and move on but just pick it up and think about it prayerfully and properly. Uh, Read it with others. Uh, That's why we want Connect to be such an important thing in the life of our church. That's why we believe it is such an important thing because together by going and by participating we can feast on the word. Um, Not just by going and getting the right answer to the questions but by sitting together and engaging with the word, by reading it and by delving into it with our church family. Now we understand Connect is sometimes hard and it's hard to get along to. We'll find another way. There are lots of people here with lots of different openings in their time. Grab two or three others. Find a time that works and feed on God's word together. Uh, If that sounds hard, if you don't know how to do that, talk to me, talk to one of the elders. That is a conversation we would love to have. Get into the word, taste it, learn to crave it and grow up into this salvation that Jesus has won for you. Grow up into this love for one another that we are called to. Because at the end of the day, this hope that we have is not just something we receive, it is something we do, it is something we grow in and act on. And if you feel like your hope is weak, maybe it's because you've not been acting on it 
as you're called to. Our hope is active. It longs to be holy like God the Father is holy. It longs to learn his ways, to look like him and to one day stand before him in confident fear when he comes as judge, knowing it is ransomed, redeemed and loved. And our hope longs to grow, loving those around it as it has been loved. And so it craves the only thing that can grow it in that way, the living word of God. Act out your hope and grow it strong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that living hope that you have given us in Jesus, that by him we are ransomed and redeemed. By him we are born again into this hope that endures for all time and through all things. Father, we pray that this hope would be an active hope in our lives, that we would be practising and growing in holiness, taking on our new family's likeness, that we would be learning to love and feed on the word that you've given, the living, enduring word. Father, may you grow these things in us. May you cement our confidence and assurance in Jesus, whose blood has paid our ransom. And may you help us to live that hope out gladly and boldly. In his name we pray. Amen.